0: You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation, but never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled oh Studios. I see no. Foster, Foster Care Nation. Nation. Listen, up. Listen up. This is
1: Foster Care and Unparalleled Turning.
0: Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Hello, and welcome back to Foster Care An Unparalleled Journey with Jason Palmer. And today, ladies and gentlemen, I bring a guest to you who is an author and a former, or a, not former, but fellow foster parent, somebody who knows this crazy life that we live. And we're here to listen to a story from Nikki Hertzler today. How are you doing today, Nikki?
1: Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you.
0: Hey, we're glad to have you on here. Anytime somebody's willing to come on and tell a story, we are super appreciative because this it is it's hard to do if there's nobody else to tell stories because. I've only got so many stories I'm allowed to tell.
1: We so, do have to be careful with our confidentiality in the, in those stories. Yes.
0: Oh yeah, people have heard lots of stories about kids with different names, and and I can tell you all the stories you've heard from Carl. Uh, if if you anybody who's heard like Carl's story or anything, Carl was a baby who really affected us a lot, and I promise you, his name is not Carl. That's his <laughs> name in our house. <laughs> But no, nobody else knows his real name besides my wife and I, and maybe a couple of my kids might remember his, his birth name, but that's about it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. we, we have to be really careful about confidentiality stuff, and, and so, yeah, we're, uh, we're always looking for people. So if anybody does have a story, would like to talk about foster care that, or adoption or their journey or, you know, some um, professionals who help kids in this journey – if you're looking for a place to tell some of your stories or, or, or discuss some of these things, we'd be great to, or we'd be super appreciative if you'd be, you know, just reach out and let us know you have something to say. Um, and it's at the end of the, the episode every time, but it's the email address is jason at fostercarenation.com. If somebody does have something you'd like to say, or we have, I don't ever advertise it, and I haven't for a long time, so nobody's used it, but we also have a phone number. And it is 413-FOSTER-3. It's a Google voice number. I will not always have that turned on. So you can call and just leave a message on that. And and um, if, you know, something you need me to call you back on, I can call you back. Or we can just leave me a message and we'll discuss it further. So that whole little advertisement piece out of the way right there. How you doing, Nikki? I, I'm curious, you know... We we talked a little bit before this, but we really didn't dive into this. How did you get into foster care? What what led you in that path?
1: We, My husband and I have, have three biological children, and they're older now. They're all adults. But when my youngest son was about to graduate high school, we had another year before he graduated, and my husband, I think, was just kind of lamenting that fact, and just all of a sudden, out of the blue, he said, let's not be empty nesters let's foster. And that was a surprise because we had never even really talked about that. It just was, we had had a friend who um, had adopted just recently from Uganda and we knew another family at church that had, was fostering, but really that was just very much surprising to me. And I said, well, I had grown up thinking maybe I would foster or adopt but then when we got married, we had our own and that just went by the wayside. But I was, I was ready to do it too. Yes. And then I'm an elementary school teacher. And as a teacher, you look at your students and there's just those certain ones that you just know need extra love and attention. And you know, if you could take them home that you have high hopes that you could change their lives. And so I thought, well, if I, if we're foster parents and maybe one day, one of my students might end up in my home. Oh my! Say, so not empty nesters. We keep our house full.
0: I'm glad I'm not the only keep one with that story. Yeah. <laughs> as far uh, as that, yeah. I, I I plan on retiring. You know, roughly, but f- five minutes maybe before before I, I close my eyes for the last time because um, I don't think we we have an end game in this in in our journey. You know, we're just we're just kind of been full out this whole time, you know, then that's, mm-hmm. you know, what you're describing is, Hey, like the world thinks you're supposed to raise your kids and then retire and go be empty nesters and stack up money and then go use all that money to finally buy nice furniture or whatever you buy. Once the kids are gone, huh. <laughs> because right. I know we we can't buy nice furniture in our house.
1: <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah. Especially with boys. Cause they're like wild animals. I know what they base the Tasmanian devil off of. You know, it was <laughs> there was an yes
1: yeah. our uh, our couch. We we learned that leather or pleather is best. Don't have those fabric couches because we have to mop up all the baby spit up and yes, etc.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. So so yeah. That's but that's what most people's idea is: is that we're going to get get to a certain point where you kick the kids out. We're going to go live that wonderful life and baby girl's uh, foster journey is scheduled to end soon, um, within a month or so and is the the hearing for that and um, Mm -hmm. if that's the case um, I think the math says I will be almost 64 when she graduates high school. Mm, Yes. So I'm going to be the dawdling old man who they're like, no sir the grandparents sit over here.
1: (laughs) That's not too bad. Yes, you're pretty young still. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome that you, you you're not you're not gonna just quit. You're just gonna keep going. Love it.
0: Yeah, at some point we're gonna have to stop like keeping kids because I don't know how many years God's gonna give me on this earth, but it's gonna run out at some point. That's one guarantee that I know is that at some point at some point I will be done physically because I won't be breathing any longer mm-hmm. and I can't take care of kids at
1: that point. Right. Our, our last one, um, the word adoption was certainly out there and, um, we had to consider, we had had her since she was five weeks old. And then we had her for 15 months and she, she was ours. She was our baby. We just loved on her. She called us mom and dad. Well, she was starting to get, yes, data comes first, of course. And of course. then. To take her to fly her to long beach to, or sorry to somewhere else to be um to be adopted by a family member but we we were doing the math on our head and we would have been in our 70s when she graduated high school and that's that was is that fair for her 70s but you know what she would have had a great home we would have been good for her as long as we had a uh, life inside of us yes
0: yeah we all think we know what the plans are and and so many times we've had those experiences well carl who i mentioned before we thought carl was going to be a life a lifer with us and that Mm -hmm. that process changed along the way and and i'll be honest carl's in a good place he went to stay with Uh his great aunt she was a good woman um i I don't have anything against her i just she was on a, a fixed income when when carl was born and um had had some storms rip through St. Louis and pulled part of her house off, and then oh. when she gave the insur or the the construction company some money to fix it, they took her money gladly and then oh. they left town without fixing it, and so she had to get some things fixed up before they would allow her to have have a baby in her house. So it wasn't her fault at all. She wasn't. It wasn't like she didn't want to be involved, you know, but she couldn't, and and it took a little while for everything to get taken care of, and but once it did, that's where he went and. I think Carl, let's see, I'm looking at the date here. He'd probably be about, he's probably 10 or 11 years old now, mm. you know? And the things that we've been through over the last 10 or 11 years, like, I look at it and think, okay, may, maybe that was the way it was supposed to go. I don't know. But, you know, I, I, I look at that, that, that one verse that, that it always comes back to me in those moments that says God works all things together for the good of those that love him, Right. All things, you know, that's an awful small word, but with an awful big meaning. And so I just have to trust and believe that that's the way it was supposed to be. It's supposed to go that way. And mm-hmm. and I ran across his, his great aunt who was raising him a, a couple years after he went to her house and I saw her one day in town and and everything was going mm-hmm. wonderful at that point. And I, I, I don't have any connection with her um, anywhere, but, but, you know, everything sounded like it was going great for him. And maybe that's the place he's supposed to be.
1: Mm-hmm. And you were obedient for the time that he needed you to, to be there for him. Yes. We need to just step up and, and be obedient and do what we can.
0: Absolutely. And and to be honest with you, at that time frame, I think I think my oldest son, CJ, I think he was 13 or 14 years old. And to have a 13 or 14-year-old boy come home from school and go, where's the baby? I want to hold him. Is like it had that kind of a profound effect. It was like, it changed, it changed my, my other kids as well. Having him around for sure.
1: Yes. They, they are less focused on themselves. I would hope and more focused on, on the kids around them, and what the other kids need.
0: Well, they were for a moment, but the teenage years did definitely take over. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that that's, that's definitely a thing in, in our world. So, um, <laughs> but they they've gotten you know that that particular son is 20 what is he i think he's about to turn 25 this year in just the end of the next month so yeah we we've been through all the things with him and and he's grown up and it's it's terrifying sometimes to think that i remember hitting 25 and thinking i'm a quarter of a century old and i felt so old and now my son is a quarter of a century old <laughs>
1: yes.
0: so yeah. So, you know, I know we talked a little bit before this, you, and, and I think I, I mentioned and when I was introducing you that you're an author. You have a book out there that's going to be coming available here in the very near future. Let's see that when this when this one airs, uh, when you guys are listening to this, it should be pretty close to the beginning of May. And so on May 2nd, you have a book uh, that's coming out called Experiences from Real People, Help from a Real God. Right? Right
1: i from a foster parent. Yep. Experiences from real people, hope from a real God. And this is, um, this is a book that I hope encourages foster parents to keep on fostering because there's so much, like we know that 50% of us foster parents um, quit after the first year because it's so hard. And if we have support, then we can keep on fostering for longer and so a lot of that support comes from our friends and family. And if they are helping us out, a lot of that support could come from from your church and and there's there's some stories there. Um in this book, I, I would want to help encourage people by knowing that you're you're not alone in the experiences you've been having. Foster care, each each situation is is so, so so different and yet so much the same. Like the, the predictability is that it's not predictable. And so there, this book has 34 chapters, and each chapter addresses a, a different situation that we face in foster care and sometimes in adoption. And it's um written. Each chapter is written by a person in that situation who's been through there, who survived that situation, trying to give you hope, like you can get through it. It. it it will pass. as two will pass, and if it's not passing, you can still keep keep trudging through. Um, there, there's hope and there's help, and it, it is a prayer devotional. So there's scripture and and a prayer that goes with each chapter. But it's been exciting seeing how it it just all came together. From there's 15 other authors who wrote chapters, and just finding those other authors throughout the country was remarkable. Like, the, a friend of a friend, or um, the a friend's daughter's friend, just very remotely. Uh, but everybody came together to write. And there's some. There's a lot of foster parents who wrote the chapters. There's also one on on um, a, a caseworker wrote the chapter. How can you How can you support your your caseworker and and pray for them? And a family court judge wrote one of the chapters. There's um. When the kids are 17 and they're about to age out of foster care, that's that's a tricky situation because what do you do? Do you keep them in your family? Do Do they want to stay in your family? Do they disappear off the edge of the earth? Um, I know a couple that bought apartment buildings special. It's a little complex here in the city. They bought a special so that they could... Um, welcome these aging out youth into there, give them really low rent, but also mentor them along the way, because there's a lot of skills, just life skills that they don't have. And so they can, like they can help them navigate how to survive, how to get a job, how to keep house. Um, So a chapter is written by this couple. Um, There's a, then there's a very poignant chapter written by uh, a woman who wasn't, wasn't a foster parent. She was a foster child in the Canadian system. And she, every time I read her chapter, I, I cry. It's just so, she talks about why, why are we doing this? What is our purpose? And she writes about how one her first experience in the foster system when she was 13, she was taken there by the police car. She's in the back of the police car with her black garbage bag full of her meager belongings. And she was not welcomed into that home. She was not allowed to eat dinner with the family. She was not allowed to play with the children. And she writes about, what's your purpose? Think about how those kids are feeling going into a stranger's home, not knowing what's going to happen back at, at their old home or when they'll see their folks again yeah it's it's been a remarkable experience. I have met virtually uh, because a lot of these people I've only met through emails. Uh, such wonderful, wonderful foster parents and and folks.
0: You know, I don't know if that's going to be be a new thing or if it just so happens that that I've been uh, brought into something similar myself, but I actually just sent a chapter off to a, to a, a a gal who's putting together a book. I think it's going to be called The Last Hug. But um, they had put a, a book together um, a year and a half or so ago, and it was written by mothers who had lost a child. It was about the grief of child loss. And she, the biggest piece of feedback she got was, I wish there was something for men like this. And so, um, uh, again, a friend of a friend of a friend, I think, um, somebody in one of the groups I'm in, knew somebody who who knew about it and that's how I got led to to that particular gal and uh and she she asked me to write a chapter for it and so there'll be I have a chapter in that particular book and um and you know that's it's amazing how these personal stories can affect us so deeply you know because most people thankfully have never never experienced the grief of child loss or the grief of having been a foster kid ripped from her home and thrown into a house where she wasn't really welcomed and until you have experienced someone else's trauma to some degree it is almost impossible to really connect with people you know what you see is you see people who get online and we get in these Facebook groups and we talk about how Trump or Biden or Obama or Bush or whatever political stripe you love is is going to save the world and the other one's going to ruin it and we we have this you know what the this, here's my age, because I think this is old like internet form language, but you have these flame wars that start online about how everybody else is the devil and the person that you support is, is going to save us all, and you need to just realize that and accept that fact. that they're, they're the, They have the right answer and you're wrong. And, um, man, the truth is, is if we sit down and discuss real life and tell real stories and we do it in a way where we can show one another understanding and love, then we can come together and work together to make the world better because I don't know what your political beliefs are. They're probably different than mine somewhere along the way, but I bet if we were to sit and discuss them, we could still get along. We don't have to hate each other just because we, we might differ on one thing.
1: Everyone has a story. Everyone has a past. Yes, Art of, of experiencing life together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we, we do. We, we all experience so many things. And until we can begin to communicate those stories in an open and honest fashion and be vulnerable with one another, it's it's hard to come together and live together as opposed to living against your neighbor all the time. And in this internet world, your neighbor is, what, the other 6.5 trillion people in the world. You know, your digital neighbors are all trying to, to, to fight against you for some reason, and it's, it causes strife, and, and there's nothing but problems that arise out of that. That's why I will challenge you to find anything controversial on my social media because I just don't <laughs> post it. I don't need to fight with you online because I'm not going to convince you that you're wrong and I'm right, and, and vice versa. You're not going to convince me, and, and that's okay. We don't need to. I feel like we can convince one another that there, this world can have beautiful places, and that's why we tell these kind of stories so that we can all work together to hopefully help more beautiful places exist.
1: Right, and make it a beautiful place for the children in our homes.
0: Yeah, and, and, and a, a better place for us because I will tell you that as I have grown over the years, as I have experienced these kids who come through our house, I have learned so much what I have gained from these children can never be paid back.
1: Wow. Yes. Yes. And, and when they're in our homes, we're part, their biological family too is part of our lives. And I've learned so much from that. And just these people are hurting. They're hurting because their children have been taken away. They're hurting for, for, reasons why their children were put away were taken away and they they have feelings too they have the love for that child they have a story they have pain
0: yeah i cannot count the number of times i've heard the the story in retrospect that oh yeah i remember when that kid's parent was a foster kid you know it, it tends to be a generational problem because it comes out of you know, things that that don't go away unless unless a parent intentionally overcomes the things that they grew in.
1: Right, right.
0: You know, and I I don't I don't wax spiritual a whole lot on this podcast, um, partly because you know, it, for some people they they just shut down, and I'm afraid to to turn them off of the idea of foster care that you have to be you know a certain way to to be a foster parent because obviously you don't. But you know, I recently read a book by I believe it's Dr. Carolyn Leaf, and she talks about um about how I grew up and I grew up in a really really dogmatic church, and I was really good at quoting scripture when I was a kid, and I've I've forgotten all the references now. But somewhere back in Deuteronomy, where it talks about the sins of the father are visited upon the third and fourth generation, and this book that Dr. Carolyn Leaf put together, I think it's called Switching On Your Brain talks about how through epigenetics that they're looking at now, they can see that the stored trauma in the human being is passed on through the DNA and how a child who grows inside of that trauma is so much more likely to, to experience the same struggles as they become older. And you see that sins of the father visited upon the third and fourth generation after that. And we see that in a foster system. I know that we do. Have you guys seen the same thing in your experience?
1: Yes, it is, it is definitely generational. And it takes a lot of work to break free from that. But it it is possible. It is possible. Um, I, I would love to to write a next book about foster kids who are now adults who have broken free from that generational poverty and, and mess. So yeah, that would be, that would be a very hopeful book, I think. It's just seeing how they broke free, what, um, what as foster parents what did in their lives to help them even break free and be a successful and happy adult.
0: Yes, I believe we we interviewed Justin and Alexa Rose, Alexis Rose, maybe. I can't, I'm trying to remember their name. I, I should be able to remember it better than that. Um, I've been kind of following their journey through their. You know, I think, I think they run Rose Empowerment Group or something like that, and they're working, I believe, with with kids in in, in general. I don't know if it's specifically foster kids, but we talked with uh, Justin about his experience, and he grew up in abject poverty in Detroit, and he talks about some of the you know. The world that most of us don't realize exists. You know, he grew up living with his family in vacant homes in Detroit, Michigan. That was that was you know, power was not a thing that happened in most of those homes. Um, running water was not a thing that, that most of them experienced, and so he talked about living through that. And uh, and his wife as well grew up in a home that was very abusive, physically, mentally, um, sexually abusive, and and they have come out of that. Two two young foster kids who met. At a, I think it was a church retreat or something, and ended up married. And um, today they're working to end those problems. And they've they've had their you know their first actually the last time I interviewed them, um, Alexis couldn't be on because um, unbeknownst to anybody else she was very pregnant at the time, and they're getting ready to have their first child. And so they've had had their first child, and, and um, you know, and they're raising a family, both of them breaking that generational curse, deciding mm-hmm. that they're going to be the thing that they wanted to create so that they didn't have to uh, carry that curse on. So it's amazing when you see somebody who who not only overcome, you know, just overcomes the problems, but then decides to become a source of the solution for the next generation.
1: That is amazing. And studies show that it takes just one nurturing adult to to make that change, to be that change, to be that that help to, to boost them out. One nurturing adults in their lives. And maybe that's a foster parent, maybe that's a teacher, maybe that's uh, the counselor.
0: Yeah, maybe that's somebody listening in right now because you know, I'll be mm-hmm. real honest. Um, in in our journey, I remember if do you remember Dr. Dobson he used to be on the radio watch? Yes. Okay, so Dr. James Dobson was talking on a radio program Monday and and me me and religion didn't always have a healthy relationship because I grew up in an unhealthy place and um and mm. I heard him talking about how it was somewhere around the neighborhood of the, I think there's about five hundred thousand kids in need of a home right now today. And his his response was if one family out of every third church in America decided to adopt one kid, the system would be empty tomorrow. And I remember thinking, yeah. Yeah, so all you church people, you know, I'm talking to the folks I grew up with. You all you church people are so high and mighty, and you know, you think you're so good, and and you're the only ones going to heaven. And and look at this problem you're just ignoring. And somewhere in the back of my mind, and I'm not going to blame God for the voice exactly because it had it came through in my own tone of voice at the moment. All I heard was that you know they talk about that still small voice. It wasn't a still small voice at all. It was a loud voice that said, "What are you doing, asshole?" And I was like. Oh, that—that's a good right, point. Right, right, right. And, and um, so that one caring human could be you or me or any one of a few million people in in this country who have the ability to reach out and help a kid.
1: And there, that's those statistics are still very similar. There's over four hundred thousand um, youth in foster care right now in the U.S. Somewhere between four hundred and. 450,000. And there's over 300,000 um, churches. So, yes, of course, there will always be more kids coming into the system. So there will always be more need. But yeah, so my church is partner, partnering, oops, Sorry, and I'm part of that ministry uh, with a ministry called Foster the City. And it's just starting here on the on the West Coast. And it's expanding, though. And Foster the City is um, coming into churches, training churches. And what the purpose is, is to keep foster parents fostering because, you know, it's so hard. We need support. And so their goal is to surround a foster family with at least four support friends. So everybody can't foster, but everybody could do something to help. And so these four foster friends would commit to twice a month doing something for the foster family that they're committed to and you know a commitment of nine months to a year and that would be like maybe just one tangible thing a month and one emotional or spiritual support a month the tangible things are are so varied like then people are thinking outside the box like oh like one family is paying for housekeeping like once a month for housekeeping like that would be me. Please sign me up for that. I would love, to, <laughs> especially when our kids are, our house is full of kids. Um, maybe bringing a meal once a month, tutoring. Many of our, can I say the majority of our, our kids need, need academic support. They've gone through trauma that affects your brain just effectively, even just shuts off your brain. They need some tutoring support. Uh, maybe it's doing some yard work once a month, just once a month commitment. And then again, another time a month, just send in a text. Hey, I'm thinking about you. Letting you know, I, I just, I know, I, you know, how can I help next month? So, yeah, it's um, it's an a organization that's growing, fosters the city. It's here in Reno. It's in San Diego. Just this past week, they opened up in San Diego. It's in um, the Bay Area. And in uh, I think uh, southern southern Nevada too, and in, in Clark County, and Las Vegas, as people know. So it's um, once you get support around you, you know you're not alone. You're not isolated. You you know who you can call for help. Like I can't pick up the the child uh, today from school. I'm I'm in the emergency room with the other one. Can you please go pick them up? Just knowing that that someone's there having your back is a big help and can help us continue with more fostering. I remember during COVID, oh, we um during right before COVID, we were getting called by CPS. Yeah, I have two girls here at the Um, maybe maybe you call it a group home for a generic term. You want to come visit and see if you want to take these sisters home, which is kind of unusual having that time to actually get to know them. But I I was on spring break as a teacher, and so I went over and we played some games, and said, well, yeah, we'll excite them into our home. So these two sisters came. They were about uh, seven and five. And we already had a a baby we were fostering. She was about 10 months old. And so that was spring break. And during spring break, the world started shutting down. COVID happened. We started having to work online, teach online. My husband was home in another room working online. These two girls, well, one of them, one wasn't in school yet. She, The seven-year-old had to be online with her teacher. And I've got a baby to juggle, too. And, oh, you feel really isolated that way. Um, The parks were closed. Everything fun was closed. You were home. We walked the neighborhood a lot. We have wild horses out behind us, so we got to walk to see the wild horses. And we taught them how to ride a bike. Um, We thought we taught the older one how to ride a bike we did find out that the first month of learning how to ride a bike, you probably don't want to go down a very steep hill with the child because there are cars to run into. So (laughs) parked vehicle. And she was so sweet. She was like, when, when I rang the, the lady's doorbell to give her my insurance information she said, "I'll give you my Easter money." Like, oh, that just broke my heart. What a sweetheart! Um, but my point would be that it 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 took help. It took support. We had friends bringing meals. Had a friend say, "Hey, what do you need from the grocery? I'm about to go there, and I'll just bring it by." And you know, getting out to the grocery was such a, a such a chore then with three little ones. And, um, having to mask up and limited time to go in the grocery, they brought us a gallon of milk. Just that gallon of milk gave us so much peace. and I I, I just can't describe it, but like knowing that, okay, okay, we can do this. we can keep doing this. Yeah, yes, it, it takes some good support.
0: I love that idea because, man, you're not wrong because even the things that caseworkers know you have in front of you that you're going to have to deal with, sometimes that's a lot. But then they hand you this kid who shows up at your house, who's maybe three years old, and they don't know much yet. They just met this kid, you know, maybe, maybe 24 hours ago. They might not know anything at all. And you don't realize that you have a kid with all these neurodiverse issues you know maybe autism is in there maybe you know (laughs) i I like to joke and say that dsm6 comes out and there's going to be a picture of of my sweet little boy in there it's gonna you know it's gonna be adhd af because that's gonna be the adhd is frankie model right there because this kid has a premium version some days and he is a joy 80 percent of the time an absolute joy I've seen this kid wake up, literally wake up laughing. I don't wake up laughing ever. I don't think that's ever happened once in my life. But but there's 20% other times that it's not nearly the joy side. And it's a challenge. And, and you got to walk through these things. Or kids who come to you with reactive attachment or whatever it is, you're going to have other things to deal with. And that's a big tax on your time and your energy and your emotional energy. And... And having people around you to support you is is a wonderful thing, and I will say that that's one place where I think we lack in our area. We have very very limited support here, you know. And mm-hmm. it's 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 not because we tried to reach out and nobody will. Because quite frankly, we you know we're like your standard people. Oh, we're fine, fine. It's it's the <laughs> the F and G lies, you know. How is everything going? Fine and good. Fine and good. That's how. Yeah, we're fine. We're good. Um well truthfully speaking we're struggling our pants off over here just trying to survive to the end of the day and we don't reach out for a lot of help and there's not always a lot of help just one day this last week um i forget what all was going on we had several things going on but if all of our mechanics happen properly we get to this appointment this appointment this and we get it all laid out and then my wife woke up on um, one day this last week feeling really bad and she commenced to being sick to her stomach and basically being sick to her stomach and vomiting every five minutes for about 36 hours. So yeah, we miss some stuff because <laughs> that, that yeah. we, we, my son had a football practice, my, my nine year old, he was really upset that he couldn't go to football practice, but we had no one to get in there. There's just no way. Look, we've got this many people. We have two people and two cars and we can do what we can do. Um, but by the time we realized it was time to go to football practice, It was 10 minutes until it was time to be there. And I had one baby in pajamas. The other one was in, you know, dirty clothes from messing, you know, spitting up on herself all day and yada, yada, yada. And there's there's no way I'm getting two babies ready and making it to practice in that time. You know, and and we just having somebody who commits to helping out is a great way to encourage all these people who look at what what you do. You know, as a foster Mm -hmm. parent, I know you've heard this. Oh, there's a special place in heaven for you. I can't you guys do so much for these kids. You're so amazing and so wonderful. And they usually end with a line, something like, I could never do that. Well, maybe not. But what could you do? You know, because if you are a believer, if you believe that God wrote that Bible and aimed it at you, that that verse in, in James 1 you know, true true religion is to visit the orphans and widows in their in their troubles. That, that wasn't just written to weirdos like you and me who are, who are wired this way. It was written to everybody. So how, how do you help in those ways? Oh, yeah, here's a great opportunity. You find somebody who, who does, you know, who is working in this system, who is helping the orphans and the widows, and you support them, and you, bring, you know, become part of their life. And that's the support you can give on a daily basis to people around mm-hmm. you and become part of that struggle. And you don't have to show up at my house and clean it every day. My God, if you knew how <laughs> worthless of an endeavor that was, <laughs> you know, if I could clean the place spick and span from top to bottom, by the time I got to the bottom, the top is trashed again. I know you know that feeling, right?
1: Right. Yeah. Uh...
0: But just having some support of with all the the difficulties, especially because so many of the kids we bring in are neurodiverse, and as a teacher, I assume you probably have experienced a good amount of that.
1: It has been increasing through the years. Yes, yes. You just want to hug on them and yeah, take away their pain.
0: And, and mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious. You know, I don't know if. I don't know if the instances of, of neurodiversity are increasing that much or if we're just seeing it and labeling it and acknowledging it and trying to do something about it because we have better knowledge now. I don't know which right. one of those I'm, is the case. but
1: Yeah, I'd be curious. I'm, yeah. Our first placement was um, two little sisters, one 15-month-old and then an 8-year-old. And, um, you know, okay, we're, we're in this. My husband and I, we're together. We're doing this. And then that first week, I got sick. I never get sick. I'm a teacher. I've built up immunities, but I got sick. The baby got sick. She's clingy. She won't even let me put her in the high chair. She just wants to be held. And we're just miserable together. And, um, you know, somebody had asked, can I start a meal train for you? Oh, no, no, we're fine. Well, she did anyways. And that was so wonderful. And then I'm just feeling so bad. And my husband's dealing with with the older one and, like, had to call a friend like could you please pick us up this over the counter medicine and, and they did and came over and played with the baby and just let me rest a minute and yeah it's a lot a lot of of support.
0: I find it amazing how, you know, when you help somebody it, it even when I can help a friend out, it's a good feeling for me, right? I know that I've supported you know I've supported my friend. It makes me feel good by by helping them. And how quick we are to refuse anybody around us that same good feeling of supporting us. Yes. I, I don't know why why Let we, we people don't,
1: feel good.
0: Yeah. We, we, we are so often terrified of the judgment that will come at us for not being perfect because my life does not look like your Instagram reel that's the problem that we we've gotten so into into comparing ourselves to the social media highlights of the rest of the world and let me tell you my life is never going to even come close to you know like like most people's normal lives we deal with so many other things let alone your curated filtered you know social (laughs) media
1: yes
0: Yeah, you're gonna post things online that are gonna look awesome and beautiful, and you went to Disney World, and I'm like, I clean puke all day, all right? You know, I had sick kids, and that's all I did was clean puke, and you know, tomorrow, I'm—I'll be honest with you. This morning, I got the littlest one up. Um, she she still doesn't eat very well uh, by mouth, and so she has a feeding tube, and so she gets an overnight low-level feed all night long. And so when you put food into the stomach all night long, the body processes that. And so in the morning, you get the, the after effects to take care of. And this morning, huh, I almost didn't make it to church this morning because I got her up. And, and again, this was one of those mornings where my wife was taking my son to something and, and one girl, and I took the other son and one of the girls with me. But when I got her up, I mean, if you've ever had one of those, like, amazing diapers that you went, How? How did you like that? It was on that level. Like it was out the front, the back, the sides, everywhere. It was, it was a whole lot. Right. But that's, that's what I'm busy dealing with most days. And if I compare that, that life with what people put on, you know, show, show themselves out there on Instagram, riding around and, you know, sitting by, by Lamborghinis and fancy stuff and flashing big money and filtered pictures and and showing how how awesome you look and i'm like yeah no i i I spent 10 minutes cleaning poop off a baby i don't really don't care about your instagram post right but we have to get to that point where we're just open and honest with one another about what a life really is
1: right and when we're we're open to that we're opening ourselves up for a lot of, of heartache but so so such rewarding feelings too like we're actually making a difference in the lives of these children and in the lives of their biological families too. Hopefully that's the goal. Anyway.
0: Have you now, I know in our experience, okay. In our experience, most of the kids we've had come to our house are very young and most of the situations involve people who, who are struggling with a lot of addiction. I would assume that in, in Nevada, you have the same addiction issues as we have in the St. Louis area. Um, but we have not had many instances where we had any connection at all with bio parents. Not just, not just because we said no, but, well, I'll be honest, the two babies we have with us right now, um, their moms have, neither one of them, two separate moms, two separate families entirely, neither mom has contacted Children's Division once to see if their baby's alive, let alone, you uh-huh. know, doing well. So, so we've had very little contact with bio family. Um how how has that been for you? Have you guys had a chance to to connect with biofamily and even support them maybe?
1: Wow. Yes. Yes, actually. Uh and most of ours we have. Our last one, they moved out of the out of the state. So we had phone contact for a while and that was then that petered off. But most of the time we have family visits twice a week at least, and extra ones too. The the first set the first little sister set we got, um, the day after we got them, we had to have a meeting with with the biological family. And so this little tiny room in walks. So we're in there, me and the two little girls, our caseworker, the former caseworker, then um, the mom, the dad, the grandma, the older aunt who take, takes care of them a bit, the younger aunt who lives with the mom and dad the um the the dad's half half not well their half brother the dad's son by another marriage another relationship was there and then in walks um the two brothers who had been taken and they were going to have another foster family so those two foster people were there too and then in walks on her little cane great grandma everyone's in this first meeting about what's going to happen to these two little girls. So it was then that it struck me that we're just not fostering the children. We're here for the biological family too. There was like 26 people in that little tiny room. So that, that was a remark. We actually got written up in the newsletter about that. That was so remarkable. It's not usually like that, but usually the parents are very concerned about getting them back um not, may or may not be doing what they're supposed to be doing but but yes
0: it's funny they're, you mentioned that i i just recently got a facebook message that says hi i'm i'm so and so as i'm sure you know i'm i'm this kid's great grandmother i'm like nope didn't know that at all <laughs> <laughs> didn't know who you were mm-hmm. and and i've actually had a flurry of respond uh, of messages from family members and, and so far they've all been very supportive and and you know hey not trying to cause your family any problems you know just want to reach out and we appreciate you guys you know taking care of our family member blah 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 and, and so so far everything has been very very cordial and appropriate and and i i feel bad because i haven't had a chance to really respond much at all with them yet because life is crazy and and we're in the middle of too many things right now um but but hopefully at some point because this is a family well my 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 little guy who i I, frankie who i joke is about his his adhd his his 180 mile an hour mindset um you know it's it's his biological sister's youngest one we have with us right now and frankie's fully adopted into our family and um, baby girl looks like it may go that way as well. But, you know, there's an entire family out there that we have yet to really have the opportunity to meet. And they don't live real close. They live within an hour of us, it seems. So, you know, there may be some family connections we can make there and create, you know, a bit more of a support network for these kids as they get older. And to mm-hmm. be able to, you know, let them grow up around people who knew, who know their, their family's backstory. And that's such an important thing I find with kids is knowing where they come from. I don't know why we're wired to want to know that, but we are.
1: Yes. Yes, and that's one thing that made made it easier to um, send our our little sixteen month old off. Is that she's with her sister. She'll she'll have at least some contact with with family.
0: Um, yeah. That's why Baby Girl is with us right now because Baby Girl is here with her biological brother, and to take a, you know a kid who who does have a a, a, um, a significant ADHD mindset, and, and watch this kid who normally is all but bouncing off the ceiling to when when we brought him brought her home the first time from the hospital to watch him just absolutely stop and melt. For thirty seconds over this little girl, like he he stopped and just melted over her. And I don't know if I've ever seen Frankie spend thirty seconds focusing on something that impacted him that much in his whole life. And it was it's just it's like hey this really matters. And to this day, he just what Frankie just turned eight, and so he will he will oftentimes stop what he's doing. And if you've ever met an eight year old boy, you know that they like to eat, right? And to watch him stop and go over and check on his sister and, hey, can I give her some of those? And it's like, nobody. she doesn't have teeth yet. She can't have that. Or maybe she can. And, and he's trying to help feed her and, and watch him actually care for another human being with so much tenderness and it, that young boys don't tend to have because, you know, we train it out of them, unfortunately, in, in our culture a lot of times. But to watch him just fall apart over this little girl, it's so healthy. And I love to see that. And so as they grow together, it's um you know, we're super happy that we've been able to keep some, some family connection there between those yes. two and potentially on through the future some some more connection with, with his biological family and hers, so that they can know where they come from and have that peace resolved in their heart.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that's that, really beautiful.
0: That yes. that's why we do the things that we do, right?
1: Absolutely. Yes. And and talking about um, the biological family, we have we have some friends here, and actually, they wrote a chapter in in the book um, "Help on the Foster Parent" that they um, they're not just fostering the two little girls. They have invited the mom into their house for holidays. They have the mom over at least once once a week in their house because they're teaching her parenting skills. And they want her to have more time with her, with her two daughters, but they're also teaching her how to care for, care for the daughters because she, she did not know. So they have, the, the two girls went back to live with the mom and they were reunited, but they still have the girls and the mom in their home a lot, many times a month. So they're, they're still supporting this, this whole family.
0: That's beautiful because you know most of the kids that we've had have been very young kids and we
1: <clears throat>
0: let's be honest, if your kid was in foster care when they were a baby, you may not want to tell them that story years later if you're not comfortable showing that that side of your history to your kids and and so oftentimes you know we're not welcome to be in, in these kids' lives in the long run but if, if it's available and, and you can offer that support that's that's awesome.
1: That is a good point. I think I would want to forget that little hiccup in my life if it were me. 5% of our youth apparently have been in foster care at one time or another in the U.S., so it's kind of a sizable portion.
0: It is for certain, and it's interesting to note that, I forget the actual number, but the percentage of, of incarcerated persons in the U.S., the percentage of them who were former foster youth is ridiculously high because a lot of times they weren't able to make that connection with that one safe human to help them create a life that that's that's livable, let alone amazing. You know, they they just never created that bond. And that's why I think it's so necessary for people to step into this into this journey alongside of us.
1: Yeah, it's like a fifth a fifth of the current prison population was in were former foster children and 50% of the homeless. Um, However, they were doing a study, whoever they are, also discovered that if they hadn't been put in foster care, then there would have been a higher percentage in, in prison is based on their home situation. So foster parents are making a difference.
0: Absolutely. We make them the the biggest difference we can make, but, we would be so much more effective if we had more people join us on this journey of craziness in life here that we have. And as hard as it is, it's still worth it.
1: Yes. <clears throat> exactly. It's been the hardest thing that Jeff and I have done. And it's been one of the most rewarding things.
0: Absolutely. Yes. It's amazing how the hard things are usually the right things to do.
1: <laughs> Get out of your comfort zone. Exactly. Exactly.
0: Well, thank you so much for for giving us some of your time today, Nikki, and allowing us to share your story. Because hopefully, you know, people can hear this and, and and hear the passion in your voice and understand how worth it this really is, and they're willing to join us or at least look into joining us on this journey.
1: At least being a support, support friend. Yes, thank you very much. This has been very interesting talking with you.
0: Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Nikki's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you would like to share your stories as a guest, you can reach us at jason at fostercarenation.com. You can contact with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account where you can support our mission for as little as $5 a month. It's at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And, as always,
1: you are so super awesome. I thank you guys so cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks.
0: Unparalleled <laughs> Studios. studios.